I've been saying quite a lot and putting out quite a lot of work recently, as undoubtedly some of you have noticed. Much of it has a distinct prophetic sound to it. And uh, I'm engaging uh, the, the major prophetic works of the Scriptures, primarily the books of Daniel and the Revelation. And I've been poring over the Scriptures, the prophetic Scriptures of Jesus in the books of uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke uh, concerning the end of the age. Now, I thought that before I went any further, and I have much more to say, uh, in fact I've really just begun to engage the prophetic Scriptures uh, in, and in the series to come, I will be talking extensively uh, about the prophetic scriptures in Daniel, the Revelation and the ones that I've already mentioned. But it occurred to me that people would be thinking by now, well, we're just really wanting to get back to normal. We just want to be done with this COVID-19 pandemic and get on with life. And you can see that frustration uh, in populations around the world. Um, Everyone wants to go back because what lies ahead is so very uncertain. Um, And people find emotional comfort and some measure of refuge in the thought that if things could only go back to normal, Yes, there will be some changes, you know, business will be done more online um, than, than in brick and mortar buildings, you know, people will, uh, will office and, fu- and function and work more out of their homes than they would from office buildings in town and, and, and the like, or in the, in the major cities. And others are thinking, maybe our purchasing habits will change, maybe we will become more sensitive to the needs of families and maybe fathers will be more present in the homes and so on and so on and so forth. But what if we're never going back to anything like we knew before? And why would that be so? You know, there are moments in human history when God, remember Him? God, the living God, interrupts things in the pattern in which they're going and He interrupts the pattern to bring in new things. Now, we're living in moments of history that are on a timeline continuum from the beginning of the age to the end of the age, from the beginning of the time of man to the conclusion of the time of man on earth. Most people have forgotten that. For most people, the urgency of living every day dominates their thoughts. They are um, 
They are unable, as it were, to think outside of that. And when you speak of prophetic scriptures, when you speak of the purposes of God being fulfilled as they can only be fulfilled in human time and here on the earth, you're apt to be thought of as an opportunist, someone who's taking advantage of the fact that people are scared and worried that they don't know where things are going. There's always that risk, you know. However, if we don't speak about what God is saying, we condemn all human beings to the winds of chance, to the uncertainties of our time without any knowledge, without any light, without any understanding with which to inform their judgments. Prophetic scriptures are written as they have been written in certain historical times, in the times when people lived, at which times God chose certain persons through whom to speak words that are prophetic. Now, the first question is, why would God do that? I mean, why doesn't He just wait? till the moments we're living in and then tell us the things that He wants to be saying. Well, the first thing is, if He did that, we would have no attunement to the mind of God and whatever He was saying would be as good as if He hadn't said it. We would absolutely be stumbling in the darkness. But another reason and perhaps more important reason is the prophetic sayings of God are cyclical, meaning they have multiple fulfillments in history, the intent of which is to make us acquainted with the order and form in which God speaks to us and what these orders and forms mean. The biggest challenge that anyone faces is to hear God accurately. I talk to people all the time who say, people who are otherwise quite intelligent and savvy about things going on in the world of finance and politics and business and social media and all the rest of it. And they will say to me many times, I don't know how to hear God. I wish I could hear God, I wish I could be confident that I heard God. So I want to talk a little bit about that. God speaks to us in types and shadows. God speaks to us in numbers. God speaks to us in visions and dreams. God speaks to us in pictures. The reason is that there is a consistency to that language 
that is dramatically absent from the communication by words. Words mean different things over time. Uh, For example, today uh, young people are apt to say, to use the word wicked, but in their minds it's a very positive thing, something is really wicked. Uh, That would be, uh, in in their minds, um, that would be like uh, an extraordinary pair of sneakers or uh, uh, a wonderful uh, Instagram shot or, or something that they find delightful. So if, if and because language is not static, if, we, if God speaks to us in the vernacular of the present time, whatever He says will be so changeable as to be unreliable. So words, uh, so rather pictures, numbers, visions, dreams, types, shadows, Those are more reliable conveyances. That's why ancient languages were were, uh, pictorial languages, hieroglyphics. The ancients drew pictures to explain phenomena. So these pictures have a recurring theme to them and we see the amplification of these types and shadows from every successive portion of history. For example, early in the scriptures we read of uh, how Abel offered a lamb, whereas Cain offered the fruit of his toil. If that were the only reference to the pictorial language of a lamb, he actually offered a lamb, but the lamb itself became pictorial, became a picture of something else. If that were the only reference to it, it would be a one-off circumstance, a one-off happening and we, wouldn't, we simply wouldn't know that there was any greater utility to the picture of a sacrificed lamb, a lamb slain, except that Abraham then offers a lamb, one that God supplied in exchange for a son. And uh, the place and the the term, the place was uh, uh, Mount Moriah and uh, the the Lamb uh, and the reference to Jehovah provideth, Jehovah Jireh, gave rise to a city in that area uh, that was Jaira. It was called Jaira. It later morphed into the term Jerusalem, <clears throat> Jerusalem, or the place where God provides. And it took on enormous meanings later on, but, but that's not so much the central point. These types and shadows are quite rich and they're not one dimensional. Later on, Moses in Egypt would be instructed to tell Israel to kill a lamb and Exodus gives us all the details of that, 
and to use its blood in a basin to sprinkle onto the two sides of the door and the lintel of the dwelling houses of Israel in Egypt. And this was generally referred to as the blood of the Passover lamb. And again, a greater depth of understanding, those who are behind the door on which blood is are immune because the firstborn has already been slain, and so on. But finally, John the Baptist speaks and in effect he says, Behold the Lamb, not behold a Lamb, but the Lamb, because all the pictures merge into the One, so we're able to say, ah, this, this Lamb is that which was spoken beforehand. So prophetic scriptures are designed to hold in place within our culture eternal objectives until the time when those objectives would now become the practical reality surrounding our lives in the earth on a particular time or in a particular time and sometimes even on a particular day. Let me give you a few quick examples. Um, In the book of Acts chapter 2 at verse 17, but beginning in verse 1, you remember it speaks of when the day of Pentecost had fully come and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like as of a rushing mighty wind, and cloven tongues like as of fire appeared and sat on the heads of those present. And and men began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now when this was published abroad, the multitude came together because this was an extraordinary phenomenon and they marveled that they heard uneducated men, uh, that is uneducated in the languages in which they were speaking, uh, speak in in the, the tongues of men from 15 different nations who had assembled in Jerusalem on that Pentecost. And some dismissed them and said, well, they're drunk, while others said, you know, they couldn't be drunk, it's nine o'clock in the morning, that's a little early to be drunk. Others said, what meaneth this? In other words, what does this mean? And Peter stood up and in verse 17 of Acts 2, he said, these men are not drunk as you would suppose, but this This phenomenon is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel and then he quotes the prophet Joel who said, in the last days, says God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams and on my servants and on my handmaidens 
I'll pour out my spirit. He said, this is that. Centuries after the prophetic utterance, the thing comes to pass. Again, in the book of Acts, the fourth chapter, Peter and John had just been released from prison and the brethren had been praying for for them and when they were released, the brethren began to speak. Uh, Peter and John had come back to a certain house where where the believers were gathered and they said in their prayers, the events that have recently happened in the crucifixion of Jesus and the collaboration of Pontius Pilate and Herod represents that scripture that said that the, 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 uh, he would be, Jesus would be uh, accused and convicted and condemned by the Jews and the Gentiles. They concluded that the Jews were represented by Pontus, by, uh, by Herod and the Gentiles represented by uh, Pontius Pilate and they said, they conspired together in this city against your holy servant Jesus and they crucified him. When they, the brethren, the early brethren, understood that this was the fulfillment of prophetic scripture, they moved from being on the sidelines of watching the apostles lead the charge to saying, put us into the fight as well because we are sure that these are the times that you spoke of, put us into the fight. And the scriptures say in Acts 4, the place where they were praying, where they had assembled and were praying, the place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, which means the empowerment came to them as they understood the prophetic scriptures and elected to align themselves with the scriptures in their present circumstance. It was said of the Jews that they crucified Christ, the scriptures said that the Jews crucified Christ because they did not understand the day of their visitation. And Jesus repeated what God had said by the mouth of the prophet Isaiah who had been sent by God to speak to the Israelites or to the Jews, to say to them, seeing you see not and hearing you hear not, neither do you understand. And Jesus repeated that that prophecy and said, this is why I speak to the multitude in parables, because seeing they see not and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Prophetic scriptures are meant to open up 
to us the understanding of when the times and the seasons in which we live have actually changed. Now, change from God's viewpoint is never random or erratic. To humans, however, it is altogether upsetting and disorienting, as they are in the present time. We don't know what to make of COVID-19 and the fact that it has shut down the world and changed the order of things, not to mention it has killed hundreds of thousands of people at this stage in the pandemic with no end in sight, with no end in sight. Now, many in both the religious world and in the secular world are apt to view this as purely a medical phenomenon. And in fact, I hear very little coming out of the prophetic establishment today concerning the times. Most of what I hear is exactly what I would expect from unbelievers or from very immature Christians. Most of what I'm hearing is prayer to return to normal. But the odd thing about it is the evangelical church in particular is not even doing that with any degree of consistency. Instead, they're asserting their legal rights under the First Amendment to be treated like Walmart, to be allowed to reopen. Not a hint, <clears throat> not a hint of anything God might be saying. And yet, in our lifetime, the world has been rocked by the most disruptive occurrence. One would have to think that either God was caught by surprise or that those who supposedly speak for Him aren't listening, therefore they have nothing to say and they want to get back to normal. Everybody wants to get back to normal. There is no way to understand what our times are and what they mean unless we view them from the throne of God. And whoever is not is walking blindly through one of the most deadly epidemics in modern times. Now, is it just an occurrence or is it something else? What is this like? Concerning this, what are we to say that this is that? I have already gone on record to say this is what Jesus spoke of when He said, 
these are the beginnings of birth pangs, but the end is not yet. Now, I have clearly articulated that the this event, COVID-19, has begun a cascading, has begun a, a, a series of events that will come cascading upon the human uh, existence all over the world and it's leading to something. This is obviously, uh, uncontrovertibly, I think if there's one thing we can agree upon is this is disruptive in the most uh, fundamental way. Now, either things will go back to normal or we'll begin to see the cascading effect of things triggered in part by this but also having been waiting in the wings to come forward and these are the appropriate times. In continuing on, I want to talk to you about the prophetic implications for the time just ahead of us and I want to begin to unpack the prophetic scriptures concerning the four horsemen of the Apocalypse, because I believe that the cascading of events that lie right ahead of us have been foretold in the references in the book of Revelation, the sixth chapter, to the four horsemen of the Apocalypse. So we'll get into that when I come back, but to summarize, why do we need prophecy? Look, if there is no God and if human society is just evolving as it evolves, we don't need prophecy. Eventually perhaps an asteroid will hit the earth and that'll be the end of all uh, conscious life. But if there is a God who in fact created the heavens and the earth, as the scriptures say, then no one understand this, the earth exists to host the fulfilling of divine intentions. Even the stars of the heavens were put in the heavens for signs and seasons for days and for years. And when Jesus was born, one of the stars of the, one of the configuration of the stars of the heavens indicated that he was being born. For the star called the Desire of the Ages appeared in the constellation Virgo, and the wise men knew that the one for whom the ages longed was coming forth out of the womb of a virgin. Okay. Too many references in Scripture tie too closely to human events for us to be dismissive of prophetic Scripture. We do that if we do, to our great and substantial detriment. He who has ears to hear and eyes to see, 
let him hear and let him see what the Spirit of the Lord is revealing to His people while the world is going to and fro uh, in a frenzied way trying to figure out what is happening. We are meant to be the light of the world, we'll have the answers because God has laid them up in store for us in the form of prophetic scriptures. Continue to study with me.